Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, welcome. This, this whole thing is, is quite strange for me now. You see, for the last two months, I've been preaching to my computer with a whole bunch of Bibles stacked on top of each other to just a whole bunch of chairs that were empty. Praise the Lord for His goodness to us and bringing us back together this morning. Thank you all for, for coming and joining us this morning. I am Pastor Jason, and we are so thankful that you are all here to join us this morning. We're thankful for those of you that, that are at home watching us via live stream. We are no longer doing it the way that we did it before with a computer and Zoom. We have a, a, a nice camera in the back, and Lord willing, this is working. <laughs> there are some things where you just continue to walk by faith, and this is something that I will continue to walk by faith. That this is indeed working and you all at home can, can hear us. Has this not been a crazy week? At times as we've been going through this week, my, my wife Shannon and I have been talking and we've been reminded of, of our time in Papua New Guinea. As different things would happen in Papua New Guinea as we were serving as missionaries or, where things would just spiral out of control. And things went from confusion to chaos. And we've been seeing that happen. And I, I just want to spend the beginning of our time entrusting all that has happened and happening right now in our country to the Lord's hands. Give it all to Him. And ask that the Lord would use this for His glory in order to bring more and more people to a saving knowledge of Himself and to fill them with the hope that we all share in the gospel. So, so let's open our time now praying for our country. Heavenly Father, we, we know that you are the answer, that you hold all the answers. Our, our hearts are saddened over what has happened to, to George Floyd and all that has happened. We pray for his family. We pray for justice to be served. Lord, we pray for your gospel to go forth. We pray that lives would be changed, that you would save many, that you would use this entire situation and all that is happening with the protesting, with the looting and everything else, that you would use this to cause more and more people to turn to you. For you are the only one who can take the confusion and take the chaos and make sense of it. So we do, we pray that you would be with our country that you would be with the leadership of our country as now they're dealing with this on top of COVID. They need your help, Lord. We need your help, and we ask for that. That you might receive the glory, that you might receive the praise. And now, Lord, I, I thank you, too, for the opportunity that we have today to gather together as your body to worship you in song, to sing praises to one another and, and to you, even though we're doing it behind face masks and, and, and all of that, Lord, we still have the blessing of praising your name. So thank you. Thank you that, that we live in a country where we can come in freedom and open up your word. And we pray now as your word is opened that you would honor the preaching, the teaching of your word that you would transform us, that you would renew our minds as only you can do, and that you would do that 
through the ministry of the Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as He illuminates Your Word, makes it clear to us that as Pastor Shane prayed, that, that we would leave here changed, filled with Your hope and Your wonderful grace. So thank You for this morning. Thank You for this opportunity. And may You receive all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, rather than turning to the book of Acts this morning, please turn with me to, to Mark chapter 4. I, I've been thinking about this passage of Scripture actually for the last couple weeks. And in particular, the, the last week it just kept coming back to me time and time again. And, and I don't know if that's because I'm a surfer and I love the ocean. Or it's because this is such a unique passage in showing that what, what theologians would say, the Christology of Christ, who Christ is, that he is 100% man and that he is 100% God. Or I, that I just love this story because it is so powerful. But it is a, a great introduction for where we are going in Acts chapter 19. So I am talking about Mark chapter 4 verses 35 to 41. A passage that is oh so familiar to us. And yet I wonder at times if, if we actually lose perspective on who our wonderful Savior is and who Jesus Christ truly is and what he is capable of. And instead of getting overwhelmed with everything around us, that if we would just stop and we would consider just what it says about him, that, that we would, as the disciples responded that we would respond in awe, recognizing how incredible Jesus is. I mean, look at this. This is just amazing. On that day, when I'm starting at verse 35, Mark chapter 5, I'm chapter 4. On that day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Can you imagine seeing this, being part of this? <laughs> this story, that this isn't a story, this is real life, this really indeed happened. And in this, it gives us such a vivid picture of who Jesus Christ is. On the one hand, we, we see so clearly that he is indeed man, that he was and is 100% man. He needed to rest. He'd been working hard, he'd been preaching and teaching, and he was all done. And even in the midst of a crazy storm, and, and, and what happens on the Sea of Galilee is, is the Sea of Galilee is 
is below the, the surface of the seawater, right? And it's elevation, and there's mountains all over it. So there's certain times in the month where just winds whip through it, causing like hurricane type of waves and, and, and wind. And that is what we're talking about. And we're talking about men that had been on the Sea of Galilee many times before. And for them to say to Jesus, hey, don't you recognize we are about to die? The circumstance must have been the craziest of all crazies. And yet Jesus is sleeping. That's how much he relates with us. And yet notice how gracious he is. I'm sorry, you wake me up from a nap and I'm a bit of a bear. Just just ask my kids at times. You wake me up from a nap, usually my first response isn't always going to be great. And notice Jesus' response. Instead of going after them first, he goes after the, the wind and the waves. Two things that none of us could go after. But two things that he recognized he needed to still in order to get to them. Otherwise, they were going to be just like us, and they were going to have all of their attention on everything that was going around them, and all the wind and all the waves. And so what does he do first? First, he handles that, so that then he can teach them, so then he can challenge them, so then he can admonish them. And notice what he does. Who does this? First, he gets up and he rebukes the wind. He tells the wind to stop, and the wind stops. But that's not enough, because there's still waves. And so he has to stop the waves, and so that's what he does next. And when it says, became perfectly calm, it it happened right away, instantaneously. That isn't the norm. None of this is the norm. Then he says to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? That question kept coming back to me this week. Do you not trust me, Jason, even in the midst of all the craziness, even if the craziness is now going to ramp up with all that's going on with George Floyd and and, and what have you and the protesters and and all of that. And yes, we need to pray for, for our policemen. We need to pray for the protesters. That the Lord would have his way in all of this. But but maybe you're like me and you have a way of getting your focus on the circumstances instead of onto him. And that's what Jesus is doing. That's why he takes the water and the wind out of the mix first. But probably what is most telling to me is verse 41. I just can't get away from this verse. Because they've been hanging out with Jesus all this time. They'd seen his power displayed before. And they became very much afraid, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They already knew him. You already know him. I already know him. But do I have that kind of perspective where I stop so many times each day, and I say, Do I really know you? Do I truly understand how great you are, that even the wind and that even the waves would obey you? And that you hold all things in your hand. And what a challenge for me. Almost each day of the week here, the Lord keeps bringing this back to me. Do you know how powerful I am, Jason? Do you know that I hold your hands in my life? Or in my, sorry, your life in my hands. 
day in and day out, no matter what's happening around you. Just as I gave the disciples this lesson, I'm giving you this lesson for you to walk with me, hand in hand, trusting me, no matter what comes. And just as Jesus could quiet that storm, can he not quiet the storm that's around us? Let me give you a little bit of a picture into the life of Jason. As a surfer, do you know, do you know what one of, it, it probably is my most favorite time to go surfing, when, when that is. You, you would think it'd be early in the morning, and yes, that's a good time, or in the evening, but the best, the, the greatest time to go surfing is right after a storm. Where the storm hasn't totally lulled yet, there's still power in the waves, but you don't get all the wind. And so as you go out and you surf, right after the storm is just dying down, you don't get the wind, it's just glass, but the waves are so beautiful. What we're going to see this morning, and turn with me to Acts chapter 19, and we're not even going to get all the way through it, we're just going to see the introduction today. What we're going to see in the end is victory in the silence. That it goes from, chaos, from confusion to chaos. But in the end, what we are going to see is we're going to see that Jesus has victory in the silence. That the way everything ends in Acts chapter 19 is by God's wonderful grace and in, in, in a silence and a victory for Jesus Christ and a victory for Christ's church and a victory for Paul, for Gaius, for Aristarchus, his Two traveling companions. So let's look at Acts chapter 19. As we continue on, what I entitled last week, No Small Disturbance, part one, and now this is part two, and sorry, we're going to go to part three next week. This is victory in the silence. And starting with verse 29, we're going to go to 41. But today we're going to go from 29 to 34. Next week we'll hit 35 to 41. Again, carrying on from what we saw last week. As Demetrius and his gang were riling everyone up. Demetrius first was riling up all of the fellow silversmiths. And how did they end? They end chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 28, verse 29. The city was filled with confusion. Or with the confusion. And they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And after quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Man of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? 
So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in a lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events. Since there is no real cause for it, and in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray for the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would guide our time, that you would guide us into truth, that you would set me aside, and that you would allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to be our guide this morning, and that we would leave here changed, that we would not forget the things that we see on and in your word, but that you would write them upon our hearts and that we would apply them to our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we see here really is the ending of this no small disturbance, right? What, what we're getting is Act 2 and Act 3. And what we see in the end is that this really no small disturbance ends up being a really no big deal. Because in the end, the Apostle Paul is still going to be alive. His two buddies, Gaius and Aristarchus, they're going to be fine. They're going to be released. But before all of that happens, what we see is very much like what we see right now in our country. A whole lot of commotion. A whole lot of confusion. A whole lot of chaos going on. And, and that is what we're going to see. Really what we see are two voices. Two voices that are singing out, that are communicating to everyone here. The voice of reason, which is what we're going to look at next week. And interestingly enough, the voice of reason does not come from the Apostle Paul. The, the voice of reason comes from a, a no-name man who, who is known to be only as the town clerk. We don't know if he's saved. We'd have to assume he's not saved. And yet we're going to learn many things from him next week. But first, what we see is an entirely different voice. And that is the voice of confusion. And the first thing that we see about this voice that gives us an indication of what we should recognize when we're walking down this road where the voice of confusion is leading us and when we need to recognize, okay, I know that I'm walking on the wrong road. I need to stop and I need to turn and go the other direction. And that is that the voice of confusion makes brash and very quick decisions. For that is what we see oh so clearly here with this crowd. Look at verse 29. As we see the continuation of this story with Demetrius, now things are escalating up to the next stage. As it goes from Demetrius and his gang chanting great as Artemis of the Ephesians to something even more, it brands and extends out to the entire city. 
as we see the city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So it would seem that Demetrius and his gang, they have a plan. And their plan is to just bring everybody into this crazed kind of state. They want to make this a public spectacle. And so as they leave, wherever their gathering place is, they are heading to a certain destination. They are heading to really the most public spot in all of Ephesus. That is where they're heading, and they're doing it for a good reason, because they want to gather a larger and larger crowd. And as they're doing that, there's just emotion in everything that's going on. As they're continuing to scream out, great is Artemis, and they're just gathering a larger and larger crowd. And they're heading to this place called the, the Great Theater. And if you guys Google the Great Theater in Ephesus, you would see that that Great Theater is still there today. You can go there and, and you can stand in this Great Theater. And as I watch, there, there's a man who actually stands in the middle of this great, huge amphitheater which seats 25,000 people, and it's, and it's built into a mountain. And so the acoustics are just amazing. And he stands in the middle, and everyone can hear him, even today. That's how good the acoustics are. But, but what's understood is the reason why they're heading to that place is because they want to make this as big of a public spectacle as they can. And so that is what they are doing. They are trying to pull everybody in, and they don't care if they're thinking this thing through. And as you look at what is going on, more and more people start joining. Why? Because of noise. That's all that's really going on is a whole bunch of noise and hype. And it's pulling more people in. And don't you see this in your own life? Don't you see this in, in our own country, and our own culture? that so many times people just jump on a bandwagon and they just go and they don't even know why they're going. How many times have you driven on the freeway and there's absolutely no traffic and then boom, you're in traffic, but it's, but it's not completely stopped. It's just kind of this, it's slow, it slows down to kind of a snail's pace and you're, and you're cruising forward and you're wondering, oh, there must be an accident. And as you go forward and forward and forward and forward, and you finally get up to where the accident is, lo and behold, the accident is not on your side. The accident's on the other side. And now you see that the other side was cruising, but now you see that the other side is backed up so much further than your side. Why is that? Because everybody's a bunch of looky-loos, right? Everybody wants to stop and see what is going on, what happened. And I'd love to think that all of their intentions are good, and so, so they, like my wife, they, they say, oh, let's pray for them. But no, the, the reality is I'm thinking most people just stop because they want to know what is going on. And so I believe that is exactly what is happening here. They are just joining without knowing what is going on, and I totally forgot. Thank you, Mike, for helping me. <laughs> the fact that we do have PowerPoint now. So we see that as this voice of confusion happens, that the first characteristic of this voice, when you know that you are walking down the wrong road, is that you are just being pulled in and all your decisions are being made very quickly. 
with no thought of what will happen and why this has happened. It's never a good idea to act only upon emotion, right? When, when you act solely upon emotion, which is happening here in Acts chapter 19, it's not going to end well. This is the first lesson that we learn from the Ephesians, that we need to keep ourselves from being pulled into making decisions too quickly, that we need to at times just slow down, stop, and pray, right? How many times do we actually not stop and pray before we jump into a decision? We need to do that. But it wasn't just that the Ephesians were acting too quickly, which they were but they acted without even a hint of understanding, which is what we see next. That the voice of confusion, it reacts without reason, without proper understanding. And we see this in verse 32. Look at how they respond. So then some were shouting one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. The Greek there is almost humorous. He's, Luke is trying to, to, to make a pun. He's trying to make this funny to say, you know what, they didn't even know why they were there. And because of that, half of the crowd is, is thinking that this is the reason why we've come. And the other half of the crowd is thinking, no, this is the reason why we've come. And yet the reality is they don't know why they've come. They've just been pulled in to this little spectacle that is no longer a little spectacle. This is just getting more and more crowd behind it, more and more momentum. And when it says that they were shouting, this is, this is the word that you use to communicate an unpleasant sound. This isn't something that you and I actually want to hear. But it's loud enough that it pulls your attention and draws you in. The word for confusion here is a step up. It's chaos. It's totally disorder. And the result is more and more astonishment. And confusion. And all of this happens while most do not understand what is going on. And as we look around, even in our nation today, we, we, we see very similar things. Why were people joining this group? I believe some were joining the angry because they wanted to be angry. Right? They, 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 they just wanted, they, they joined in order to just join in. Because they wanted to be a part of something. And so that's what is happening here. And we hear about these similar things happening all the time. It's so easy to get pulled into something without recognizing really what is going on. I remember one time, I, it had to be maybe last Easter, I went to seize chocolate to buy some chocolates for my family. My mom always went to C's and, and, and bought us these little Rocky Road Easter eggs made out of chocolate. And so I thought, man, I'm going to bless my family and I'm going to buy the same thing for, for my kids and for my wife. I remember the eggs being like this big, but they're like this big. And even if they're that small, they're still like $8 or $10 or something, right? So I go and I, and I buy all these eggs and, I, and I'm holding them and I look and there's there's this just long line. The, the Seas Chocolate's a small little store, but the line must be 13, 14 people in it. And I'm like, okay, I guess I have to wait in this line. So I go and I get in the back of the line and I talk to the guy in front of me. And I say, hey, are you in line to buy? And, oh, yes, I'm in line to buy some chocolate just like you. And 
You know, just hold tight. Okay. So, so then we, we stand in line together and some more people join behind me and we keep making our way up further and further in the line. And as we get closer and closer to the, to the front, I have to admit that the conversation turns more into complaining about how long the line is than anything else. And so he goes and he orders and then I come up and I, and I put on my little pre-packaged chocolate eggs on top for her to, you know, ring up with the register. And she looks at me and, and she says, okay, so what kind of special order pound of chocolate do you want? What, what chocolate do you want to fill this with? And I'm like, no, I'm just buying these eggs. And, and she's like, well, the pre-packaged, you could have just gone right over there to that register. You see the one with nobody at it? I'm like, are you kidding me? And what was that? That, that was because I was just following the crowd. I, I hadn't asked the right questions. And that's what's going on here. They, they haven't asked the right questions. And when we do this, when, when we follow this voice of confusion, this way of what, what we would call the foolish man that we see in Proverbs, things, they just continue to get worse and worse. And so we see first they're, they're making such brash decisions that it's not helping them. As they're just pulling in people, they can't find Paul, so they just pull in two other guys. And so we know from that, that that there must have been something else communicated. It wasn't just that this was one great big crowd and that they were just chanting. They must have been telling people as well, hey, this has something to do with Paul. Find Paul. Okay, if you can't find Paul, then grab some of his friends. And then we see that that they weren't functioning from a proper understanding. And then what does this cause them to do? This causes them to draw a wrong conclusion, which is what we see next. The voice of confusion, it results in poor conclusions. That's where they end up. Look at verse 33. This makes no sense. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. Wait a minute, where's, where's Gaius and Aristarchus? Those are the two guys they grabbed. Why aren't they putting them up front and making them answer? Instead, we're told about some man who's, who's Jewish and his name's Alexander. That's all we know about him. And we know that the Jews put him forward. It could be that he was a believer, that he was a believing Jew, and the, and the Jews were trying to get at him and uh, allow him to be hurt. Or it could be, and this makes much more sense, that the reality is, is that this was a play by the Jews to separate themselves from the Christians. That they recognized how badly this was going and how lives could be at stake. And they recognized, too, that everybody just combined Judaism with Christianity. And so what were they trying to do? Most likely they were, they were trying to separate themselves from the believers. And so they, they nominated this man Alexander. And notice he wants to talk. He's ready to talk. Even in the Greek there's this idea that they actually pull him. That the crowd is, is kind of egging him on to talk. And so what does Alexander do? He, he no doubt is, is going to say, okay, look, look, it's all about them. <laughs> it's, it's all about these Christians these guys from the way, it's, it's not about us Jews. We're not the ones that you're after. They're the ones that you're after. So please just leave us alone, but go ahead and get them. In fact, drive them out. In fact, drive them out of all of Asia. We would be very good with that. 
But notice what happens. The crowd draws the wrong conclusion. They look at what's going on and they see him as a Jew and they think, oh no, this guy is also against Artemis. So what are we going to do? We're going to start shouting. And so as a result, they just, they don't know what is going on. Alexander is not the reason why they are gathering. The reason why they are gathering is because of the way, because of the Apostle Paul, because of the fellow missionaries. But none of what is happening is helping to alleviate the confusion. Do you see that? Things just continue to spiral deeper and deeper or ramp up. The quick decisions, the reacting without knowledge, the poor conclusions, all of this leads finally into something that we see happening over and over again that we see even with, when we're following the voice of confusion. It intensifies. Things go from, from being bad to much, much worse. And that is what we see happen next. Look at verse 34. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Literally, it says they became one voice. And they're screaming out as one loud voice for two hours. Great, the Artemis of Ephesus. What are they doing? You know, up to this point, I've been highlighting basically all, all the things that are just objective truth. Right? We, we've just been following them along very simply. The obvious facts of what is going on. But there's something greater at work here. That this wasn't just about following the crowd because now it takes on a much more personal note. Now it takes on something that has much more to do with their particular worldview. Because now they're just not shouting any name. They're shouting the name of their goddess. And in this, what we could say that they are trying to do is they are trying to drown out the message of Jesus Christ. They're saying, okay, we've heard enough of this Jesus. And we're tired of, of all the results and, and what has been happening because of Jesus. And so what we are trying to do now is we're going to drown out the voice of the followers of Jesus. The voices of those that are part of the way. The voices like Paul. The voices like Gaius. The voices like Aristarchus. All these guys. We're going to drown them out. We're going to stop them because we're going to step forward. And we're going to... Shout as loud as we can. And don't you see similarities in our world today? Satan knows very well what he's doing. And if he can just undermine the Christian faith, and he can let all these other voices speak out to everyone, saying, you know what, there's not one way. Jesus' claims are way too exclusive. There's not one way to heaven. There's many ways to heaven. It doesn't matter what your faith is. As long as you are sincere in your faith, it will all end up okay for you in the end. And yet the reality is that is not what Jesus says. That is not what the gospel says. That is not what truth is. That is following the wrong road. 
That is following the way, the voice of confusion. And so what we see that as things intensify, as things continue to get worse, I'm thinking that as they're doing this for two hours, do you think people could hear? Remember what I said? You, you can Google this after the sermon. You, you, you can look at this particular amphitheater in Ephesus. If they had 20, 25,000 people there, I'm, I'm thinking almost the entire city could hear what they were saying. And I'm thinking at that time that the Apostle Paul must have really desired to go there. Wouldn't you think? That, that he wanted to step in, that he wanted to step forward. So go back with me. We, we kind of skipped over Paul. And, and I want to show you a, another voice. I would say that Paul would be the voice of reason, but here he doesn't even get a voice. The Lord shuts him down well before that, before he's even given an opportunity to come to the amphitheater, to come to this theater. In fact, we never see Paul coming to the theater. Everything is going to be worked out through another man, a town clerk. Of all people, that's how good our God is. That's how incredibly gracious and powerful our God is. That he isn't limited by the way that you and I would normally think that things are going to be solved. He can step out of the bounds of what is normal. But look at what Paul does here. As we see in verses 30 to 31, that Paul, he could have done all these things. He could have made a brash decision. He could have reacted quickly. And he could have just jumped in with the crowd. He could have ran up to the front, right? He could have defended his friends, which is a good thing. He could have defended the gospel, which is a good thing. But instead, look at how the Lord guides him. And when Paul, verse 30, wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. That was the first way that the Lord guided Paul. He wanted to go into the assembly. Paul is just beyond bold. doesn't matter how many people are there. If he has an opportunity to proclaim Christ, he's going to proclaim Christ. If he has an opportunity to stand by his fellow missionaries, he's going to do that, no matter what kind of harm this might mean for him. But again, we see that he's humble. Who's the leader here? Paul is. Do you think he could have told them no? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overstep your bounds, and, and that's a good idea, and I, I can see where you're coming from, but you know what? Those guys need me. Gaius and I, we're tight. I'm not going to let him just go in there and be hammered. But instead, he, he humbles himself. And then, then look at the next verse, 31. Well, what is this? Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, Paul, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. Who are these Asiarchs? These were men of powerful influence in Asia, in Ephesus. And really what they were were high-ranking officials. And think about what is being communicated about Paul. Not only did Paul have an influence in the synagogue among the Jews, not only did he have an influence, no doubt, uh, among the, the normal tent makers that he was working with and all of the working class, 
Not only did he have an influence in so many other ways because he was so articulate, but we see here that he also had an influence with officials, government officials. That the Lord used him in so many different ways. And as a result of their friendship, we, we don't even know what this means. Does this mean that these guys were saved? It, it doesn't tell us. It just means that as a result of the relationship that they had with Paul and the witness that Paul had among them, that they had enough respect for Paul that they stepped forward. And literally what it means is they sent messengers to him. And the idea is it wasn't just one time that they, they kept sending them to him, which kind of gives us the idea that maybe this wasn't such an easy decision for Paul to say no to. Maybe it was like Paul, okay, well, uh, that was an hour ago. Things, listen, I can hear them now. They're getting louder. I need to go. And what does the Lord do? The, the Lord sends wise counsel to Paul. And he heeds wise counsel. He heeds the voice of reason and allows his voice to be silent. What do you think? Would that have been easy for the Apostle Paul? How difficult is it to, to just stop and, and, and just trust the Lord in this kind of situation, especially when you're the Apostle Paul? And yet, is that not what the Lord desires for us to do? To trust Him, even right now with the situation that we're in. And think about the, His two friends. Think about Gaius and Aristarchus. Where are they during all of this time? I have to believe they're still being held kind of hostage. Listening to, to this humongous crowd chanting for their goddess. No doubt thinking that their lives are on the line. And yet the reality is when all is said and done as we will see next week, it's really going to be no big deal. They're going to leave unscathed. They're not going to be whipped. They're not going to be beaten. They're going to walk away from this, as is Paul. Why? Because that's how incredibly good our gracious God is and looking after his people and making sure that his church was going to continue to grow. So how could Paul sit tight, sit in his room or wherever he was, listening to all of this? How can you sit tight right now with all that is going all around us and all the craziness, thinking that maybe perhaps it's going to reach all the way out here to Temecula or, or, or wherever you live, and that, that perhaps they're going to be knocking on you. How can you sit tight in that? In the same way that Paul could sit tight, in the same way that Gaius and Aristarchus, they could sit tight. Why? Because like the disciples, they recognized who Jesus was who Jesus is, that yes, this Jesus who could calm the wind and the sea is the same Jesus who can look after us in this time. And what a wonderful encouragement for us during this time. Isn't it? To think of all the times when I could have preached Acts 19. It's happening right now. Right? That, that's how sovereign our God is. That's how cool our God is that he would allow us to come to this passage of Scripture when, honestly, our nation is kind of spinning, right? As much as we thought it was out of control before, it's even more out of control. It's like we've added another 
little spinning top into the already crazy spinning world that, that we live in. And yet in this, we can go back to, to Mark 4. We can go to Acts 19 and we can remind ourselves again and again and again, our God is for us. Jesus Christ goes before us. And He is able to allow us to say, no matter what happens, no matter how crazy life gets around us, it is well with my soul. Let me close our time, and then Pastor Shane and Kevin can come back up and, and lead us in some more worship. Praise the Lord for His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do, we bask in Your wonderful grace. We thank You for this lesson on the voice of confusion, Lord. We pray that You would keep us from following that voice that you would keep us from following the masses, from just making quick decisions without understanding really what is going on. That you would allow us in your grace to turn from following those voices and making brash decisions and drawing the wrong conclusions and allowing things to intensify. And, and there are so many ways that this lives out itself in our families, in our relationships with others in the way that we might be responding to COVID, in the way that we might be responding to all that is going on right now, Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us to follow you and to remember that you are greater than all and that our lives are secure in your wonderful care. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. And thank you for going not only ahead of us, but for walking beside us and reminding us of your greatness again and again. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.